Amen. He is worthy, is he not? What a privilege to stand before you this evening and talk about the Prince of Peace. Ah, what a wonderful privilege it is. I hope you know him already as the Prince of Peace. And if you don't, this would be a wonderful night to get to know him. Dr. King was supposed to uh, preach tonight, and he decided to have knee surgery. So uh, I'm a stand-in here tonight, and I have some Hebrew words for you tonight that you may want to talk to him about after the service. It's been, uh, I was sitting over here thinking, I think it's been 30 years since I had a Hebrew, so uh, we'll see whether it uh, shows tonight or not. See if we can get this to work. Well, as they're getting that, there we go. Is it on? Okay. Anybody know what this is? 1948, Harley Davidson. And you can probably see here on the, on the side of it, a stick shift here. What we call a stick shift with a suicide clutch. Anybody heard of that before? <laughs> My brother has one of those sitting in his office that's in awesome shape. He uh, owns a, manuf a motorcycle manufacturing company that has my name on there somewhere. And so, um, this is uh, one of our beauties. I'm an engineer, and uh, by trade, I'm left brain, off the charts, uh, hopelessly, emphatically, uh, logic-driven, uh, introverted engineer. Ah, so... As you can imagine, as a preacher and a pastor and as administrator here, I have to go out of myself to fulfill some of my roles. But as an engineer, I like uh, things that are very intricate. Uh, I like my world to be orderly and predictable. I like to understand how things work. I, I want to be able to say, this causes this, and when things don't work that way, it bothers me, okay? Um, I want my world to be sensible and to uh, be able to predict what today is going to bring. My parents tell me that when I was six or seven years old, I went out into the garage and my father had an old engine in the corner there that he had picked up somewhere along the line and hadn't figured out to throw it away yet. And while he was gone to work, without my mother knowing it, I tore it all apart. Spread all the parts all over the garage floor. And uh, I don't really know how it happened, but I tinkered with it and I put it all back together and when I put it back together, it ran. My father came home, and he was pretty amazed because he thought it was trash and was planning to throw it away. 
So he was pretty excited about that. What he didn't know was that from that day forward, I would hound him every day until he agreed to help me build a go-kart. So it wasn't quite as exciting as he thought it was going to be. But that fascination with how things work and all of that drives me to want to understand symbols and uh, processes and all of those kind of things. Let's see if any of these uh, are ones you recognize. We got that one? That was, start with an easy one, right? How about this one? We got that, right? What about this one? Ah, you got that one. I don't like that one because I'm a, I'm a GM man, okay? So here's one you may not know so well. Anybody recognize those oil drops chasing each other? For 36 years, that was a symbol of where I worked. And as I look back on that, uh, it's 36 years of lessons and accomplishments, relationships, lessons, new plants, travels, lessons. Did I say lessons? When I see that symbol, it brings back 36 years of of uh, things that happened to me that helped me to grow and to become the person I am today. Um, and so these symbols are things that bring back memories for us. They, they give us uh, a sense of being. They give us a sense of relationship and where we are relative to uh, our world. How about this one? Anybody recognize that symbol? Yeah. So, how many of you remember the first time you heard the story about the rainbow? Yeah? Probably in children's church or somewhere, right? We usually tell this story in very romantic kinds of terms to our children, right? We tell them about the rains came down and the floods came up, right? And we sing songs and we tell them all these things about God and his relationship to us and how he saved Noah and all of those things, right? We remember how Noah believed God when he said it was going to rain, right? We remember the story about how ridiculous that was to the culture he was in and what the people had to say to him about that. I remember growing up that this story was one that it was this awesome God who could just do anything, right? Do you still know him today? Can he still do anything for you today? But I also remember him as an angry God. He was mad at me. He caused the rain to come and if I didn't do exactly as I was told, my father was an army sergeant, so you get some of this, then God would be angry with me 
And uh, somehow, God would not favor me. Things would not go well for me. So we like to tell this story to our children uh, in this romantic kind of way, and we paint these pictures in uh, church, children's church, right? How many of you have a church where you have pictures drawn on the wall of all this, right? But as I've grown older, I found out that there's an adult version to this story. There's a grown-up version, if you will, that uh, is different than what I grew up believing. Um, as I have grown older and I became a father, and I started seeing the world through the eyes of a father, I read this story differently. I saw some different things in this. As I went off to college and I read it through the eyes of a college student, I saw some different things. So, tonight, with 60-plus years of experience, I'd like to show you this story a little differently. But to do that, I want us to start with Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, right, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And here's some of the Hebrew lesson, okay? And uh, again, this is 30 years old, so uh, we may have to get some help from the expert here. But this word form and void, two different words, are tohu and bohu. Tohu is without form, without any uh, structure. Uh, it is... Um, So it's, it's not structured in a way that uh, makes sense. And, and this void is emptiness. So we have this earth created, and it's without form, and it's void. One of my favorite uh, preachers, Dr. Scott Daniels, points out the following about this passage of Scripture. He talks about the fact that on day one, day two, and day three, God creates and separates and divides and shapes things. Okay? So in day one, we find God creating light, dividing and separating it, and we have what? Day and night. In day two, he creates a dome and he divides the heaven, the sky, from the waters. On day three, he divides the dry land and water 
So these first three days, God is forming. He is shaping. He is putting structure into place. I like that. Engineers like that, right? We like that structure. So days one, two, and three, God does what? He shapes. And then in days four, five, and six, what does he do? Well, day four, he fills the sky with the sun, the moon, and the stars. He fills the earth with. And on day five, he fills the skies with birds, and he fills the sea with fish, right? And on day six, he fills the dry land, right? With living things, with creepy things, with animals, and yes, with humankind, right? So again, days one, two, and three, he shapes. Days three, four, and or four, five, and six, he fills. And then what does he do on day seven? He rests, right? It's a Sabbath. It's a blessing. It's a shalom. It's a, a wonderful time of resting and Sabbath. So God shapes, he fills, and he blesses. God shapes, he what? Fills. And he what? So he shapes, fills, and blesses. The engineer side of me kicks in again, okay? And all through Scripture I see this pattern. And I see it in my own life. I have evidence in my own life that the cycles God puts me through, this learning cycle from day to day to day, he shapes me. Those are pretty painful times, right? Some of you may be going through some of that right now, right? That shaping, that shaving off some rough edges, that learning that you have to do in the classroom, all those exams and all of that kind of stuff. He shapes, but then he fills with his spirit, right? Gives us his Holy Spirit. And then he blesses us. And over and over and over again, I see this cycle in my life. Can you testify to that? Can you look at your life and see where God does that for you? So, it's a pattern that you can count on in your life. You will go through seasons of shaping. You will, be go, you will go through seasons of filling, and you will go through seasons of blessing. Just count on it. It will happen. If you're on the mountaintop today, you know that sooner or later you're going to have some difficulty, right? If you're in the middle of difficulty, you know that God will come through for you, right? And there will be those days of filling and blessing again. So, Let's look back then at this story of, of Noah again. From an adult perspective, 
from a parent's perspective, from a father's perspective, God comes and He brings down rain, and the waters come up and fill all of the earth and cover the mountains, but it's a story of destruction. It's a story of consequences for disobedience. It's a story of sin and sin's consequences. This story is written, we think, in the time frame when the Israelites are in captivity, in exile, and they're thinking to themselves, yes, this is, this is the God we know. We had this wonderful promised land, and now we are, we are uh, in captivity. It was our own fault. We sinned. We had idols, all of those kind of things. And so I think all of us can find ourselves in this place where we have come to places where we know the situation we're in is our own fault. It's something that we did that caused us to be here. We're in exile. We're in captivity. We're in distress. We're in times of need but we can look and we can say, this is my fault. But what I see here through the eyes of the father and as an adult is not an angry God. What I see is a disappointed God. He looks at his children and he says, I taught you better. You know better than this. But you have chosen this way. And so he sends the flood and wipes out everyone except Noah and his family, right? So we know that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, right? And that he is spared. And when this is done... When the, the, the flood comes and it's over and they finally step out onto, I don't know if it was dry land or soggy grass or what it was, but when they got to that place, God says, never again, never again, I will not do this again. And as a parent and as an adult, I understand that much better today than I did before. I can look at my children and I can see those faults and the failures and the bad choices and I can say, you know, I'm really disappointed in you, but we can get through this. Never again will God destroy the earth with water. What I didn't understand as a child is I saw this rainbow and it was this romantic picture of, oh, this is a sign that God will never uh, destroy the earth again and uh, this mad God won't do this again. But this word for bow, rainbow, is not a word that has to do with 
flowery things and romantic things. It is the word for bow. Bows and arrows. It is the word for uh, the elements of war. And I see now that God in His great mercy has given us a sign he has said, never again will I destroy the earth. I am putting up my bow and arrow. I'm putting them away. And from now on, I am the Prince of Peace. One of my favorite uh, Old Testament commentaries puts it this way. You have it there on your sheet. The bow is likely to be understood not in romantic ways, nor with an accent on political pluralism. Rather, it likely refers to God's bow and arrows as a weapon of war, hostility, and destructiveness. That the bow is suspended in the sky means that God has made a gesture of disarmament. He has hung up the primary weapon and now has no intention of being an aggressor or adversary. This, that is, the demobilized weapon of God is a gesture of peace and reconciliation. God intends to be at peace with God's world, recalcitrant though the world has been. I don't know about you, but I find a lot of joy and a lot of comfort in that. That when I look at the rainbow, God is said that He wants to be at peace with me. He does not intend bad things for me. It is not this angry God that if I slip up at all, he will be there to knock me over the head, right? It is this idea that God is, intends good for us. This covenant then that God makes with, with Noah and his family is one that never again will I destroy the earth with a flood. But rather, this token, this covenant, this rainbow represents the fact that God is intending peace with us. God intends for that God will never be the aggressor in your life. That he has a plan to prosper us. We know we talk about this, right? That God has a plan to prosper us and not to harm us. But here it is again. That God does not plan to harm us. And oh, by the way, wherever you find yourself today, not only is God not trying to harm you, he is not done with you yet. God has plans for you that you have not even thought about yet. My own journey of transformation and peace is one that has gone through four phases. 
And I want to just talk through that testimony just a moment with you to see if this resonates with you or whether you can find yourself on this journey. I remember at the age of eight years old, I had gone to church ever since I could remember. I cannot remember when I wasn't in church. But I remember at the age of about eight years old, coming to the point where I understood I was a sinner. That I had sinned against God and I needed His forgiveness and I needed His grace in my life. And He called me to a saving grace. Can you testify? Have you been there? God, you've had your sins forgiven. You know what it's like to be at peace with God and to know that whatever it is that you've done, God has forgiven you. And I continued in that progress of growth and learning for many years. And then I came to the point where I realized that God was calling me to a deeper work, something that had to do with the motivation of my life, the fact that what he wanted from me it was not what I wanted. And I desired to be successful, and I desired to be in charge, and I desired to uh, design great things and do wonderful things. And at some point, I had to come as a young person, 20 years, 25 years old, and have this conversation and come to the place where the motivation of my life was purified. I don't know if you can testify to that today or not. Where are you with your journey with God? Has that journey brought you to the place where you're at peace with Him and you can say, my motivation is to do what God wants me to do? The third event that happened to me was one that I cannot explain to you. And your, your example will be different than mine. But at one point in time, God called, my, called me to a life of service. It was different than purifying my motives. It was about, will you do what I want you to do or not? I've never been a great speaker. Probably never will be, though I'll keep trying. But he called me to teach. And I said, okay, Lord, whatever, it is, whatever that means... I'm willing to do it. Some of you are here because you know that's true in your life. God has placed that call on your life to preach or to teach or to some other vocation. But then later, and that vocation was gave my life what I would call purpose. So I went through a forgiveness. I went through a change in motives. I then went through a change in purpose. And somewhere along the line, I finally figured out that this God was not after me, but that he wanted to confide in me. He actually wanted to be my friend. He didn't just want to forgive me. He didn't just want to purify my motives. He didn't want me to just do whatever he asked me to do. But he wanted to be a friend of mine. 
Can you testify to that tonight? And I can't tell you the sense of joy and peace that comes when you realize that God is the Prince of Peace. That not only does He desire peace for you and in your relationships and in your life, but that He is your peace. Right? What is it that uh, Ephesians 2.14 says, For He is our peace. It's not just that those relationships and he can help you with those and if you'll follow and if you'll follow all the recipe and you'll do all the Ten Commandments and you'll do all this, he'll give you some peace in your relationships. No, he will give you a peace that passes all understanding, a joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is the Prince of Peace that I want you to know tonight. He is our peace. Do you know this peace in your innermost being today? This passage from an adult perspective and a grown-up perspective has changed my life. When I see a rainbow now, I don't think about those things I did when I was a little kid. I think about God has put away his weapons. And in the New Testament, he went so far in this direction that he laid down his life for me and was crucified on the cross that I might know this peace. Do you know him in that way tonight? Do you have peace? Do you know the Prince of Peace? I have to tell you, it's a wonderful experience. On this journey that God has us on, when we come to the place where we can say to ourselves in in the still of night when nobody else is around, God is my friend. God is my friend. He's not just somebody, he's not the army sergeant. He's not my father. He's not all of those things I thought he was growing up. But he is, in fact, the Prince of Peace, and he is my friend. Do you know him that way this evening? If not, you can. In this season of Advent, as we are talking about him as the Prince of Peace, I hope that you will never again see a rainbow in the same way that you have before. Shall we stand together? Father, thank you for your blessing in our lives. Thank you for the forgiveness that you give to us that brings us a measure of peace. We thank you for the direction you give our lives and the purification of our motives and the desire to follow you and the purpose that you give us in life, but we also thank you this evening for being our friend. I pray that for everyone in divine presence this evening, 
the problems, the issues, the trials, the temptations, the whatever it is that they're going through, would you be their peace? Would you come in such a way that they would understand what it is like to have you as their friend and as the Prince of Peace? For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go in His peace. Thank you.